Hello everyone and welcome to Refinery Life Australia. I'm Gary Hoban and I'm the Senior Pastor and Lead Elder of Refinery Life Church on the beautiful Gold Coast. If you're on the Gold Coast at any time, please feel free to come and join us as we meet together and we share in the Word of our Lord. We meet at 9.30 on Sundays at 222 Turpin Road, Labrador. And for more information, you can visit our website, which is www.refinerylife.org. We hope you enjoy this message and that you really get a touch from God today. So from the days of Adam and Eve, from when they were driven from the garden, people have been in need of a mediator who could bring them back to God. Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man. We all know that. And this week we're continuing our series on Sunday nights titled Jesus Christ as our High Priest. The book of Hebrews isn't the most popular book in the New Testament. For many reasons it's been neglected. The Jewish or Old Testament background that permeates every chapter has probably contributed to its neglect by many pastors. But the book of Hebrews portrays an exalted concept of Christ. And this week we're talking about an exhortation to remember. The text we'll concentrate on is Hebrews 12, 1. It talks about Jesus as the example. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute fullness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. And the scripture which we'll work through today is Hebrews 12, 1 to 29. Now in the letter to the Hebrews, the new covenant is presented and introduced through Jesus Christ. The last two chapters of the Hebrews book or letter are messages of exhortation and there's four special exhortations that are found in chapter 12 and readers are encouraged to heed a race to be run, a chastisement to be endured, a challenge to be accepted and a city to be experienced. So let's start with a race to run. Hebrews 12, 1 to 4. You know, the Christian life may be compared to an athlete at an event or a contest that takes place in a massive stadium. The Christian is the athlete, and the Christian life is the contest. And there's witnesses. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Jesus, the example, we just read it. Let's read it again together. We need to understand this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute fullness, stripping off every unnecessary weight, and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance and have persistence the race that is set before us. The race is to be run in a stadium in front of many spectators who share an unusual feature. Just as the race is a test of faith, so all the witnesses are people of victorious faith. A great cloud of witnesses refers to the people of faith who are noted in chapter 11. And then there's the race. Again, Hebrews 12.1. And preparations must be made for this race. 
just before the starting gun has sounded, a runner must remove all their training weights. And in case of this race, these are the sins that so easily trouble us. Runners conduct, oh sorry, the runner's con conduct during the race must be that of a patient endurance. The course is planned by someone else. The runner is disqualified if they move from the designated field. Have you ever done a cross-country race when you were a child at school? If you leave the course, you're disqualified. You didn't create the course. Someone else did. And then there's the example, which is Hebrews 12, 2 to 3. Verse 2, it says, Looking away from all that has distracted us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority and the completion of his work. Verse 3, just consider and mediate on him who endured from sinners such better hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Young athletes study the form and mannerisms of those who have succeeded in their field. My daughter Jessica is a triple jumper and she's, she's heading towards elite and she has to study what the girls that are in front of her, their form, their mannerisms, how they jump, how they train, what they eat. It has to be studied. So we study the life of Jesus Christ because he is the pinnacle of spiritual success. He both anchored, uh, sorry, authored and finished our faith. He is our anchor in the storms. If we are to live by faith, we, are most, we must study with the desire to be like him. And then there's the goal. It's Hebrews 12, 4. It's a father's discipline. It says, you have not yet struggled to the point of shedding blood in striving against sin. We need to struggle and strive. The goal of all Christians is to resist sin and temptation, that they will shed blood if necessary to be successful. And then we move into a chastisement to be endured. Hebrews 12, 5 to 11 says, discipline plays an essential part when we're raising children. If you have children, you'll know that. It's also necessary for Christian spiritual development. Believers are challenged to endure chastisement from the Lord. The fact, there's a fact as well in Hebrews 12, 5. And you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement which addresses, which, sorry, which addressed you as my sons. My son, it says, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. The Lord disciplines his own. If you love me, correct me. Chastisement is part of the parent-child relationship. And then there's a reason. Hebrews 12, 6-8. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves, and he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. You must submit to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all are of God's children share, then you are illegitimate children 
and not sons at all. If God's not disciplining, disciplining you, you're not counted as one of his sons. That's what Hebrews is telling us. God disciplines his children because he loves them. And parents must share their experiences with their children. Discipline is a system that encourages children to respond to their parents. This applies to our relationship with the Heavenly Father as well. And then there's the result. Hebrews 12, 9-11 says, Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we submitted and respected them for training us. We shall, sorry, shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of spirits and live by learning from his discipline? Verse 10, For our earthly fathers disciplined us only for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, which is right standing with God, and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. God disciplines us so that we might learn from his experiences. He wants us to partake of his holiness. And the third point here today is there's a challenge to be accepted, and that's in Hebrews 12, 12 to 21. The heart of exhortation is to challenge to be victorious in daily living. And the readers are encouraged to have the proper walk, the proper attitude, and the proper guide. The proper walk is Hebrews 12, 12, 13. It says, So then, strengthen hands that are weak and knees that tremble. Cut through and make smooth, straight paths for your feet that are safe and go in the right direction, so that the leg which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather may be healed. Circumstances tend to push believers towards defeat, but they are exhorted to strengthen their feeble hands and knees. The readers are encouraged to help other believers who have faltered so that the fallen may be healed. And then we have to have the proper attitude, which is Hebrews 12, 14, 15. It says, Continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. There's three relationships that are given in this passage. Individuals must seek to maintain peace with others. They must always be aware of God's grace. And they must protect themselves against bitterness. And then there's the proper guide. Hebrews 12, 16 to 21 says, And see to it that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later on, when he wanted to regain his title to his inheritance of the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for repentance. There was no way to repair that he, what he had done, no chance to recall the choice he had made even though he sought for it with bitter tears. And then there's the contrast of Sinai and Zion in verse 18. For you have not come as did the Israelites on the wilderness, to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to gloom and darkness, and a raging windstorm. Verse 19. And so the blast of a trumpet and a sound of words such as that, those who had heard it begging, sorry, begged that nothing more be said to them. 
for they could not bear the command. Even if a wild animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned to death. In fact, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am filled with fear and trembling. Some of us allow fleshly impulses to guide our steps, as Esau and others choose to follow the way of God, as did Moses. And then point four today is a city to be experienced, which is Hebrews 12, 22 to 27. And in this passage, believers are given a glimpse of their glorious future. It's a heavenly scene in Hebrews 12, 22. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the myriads of angels in festive gathering, and to the general assembly and assembly of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven, and to God who is the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, the redeemed in heaven, who have been made perfect, bringing them to their glory, sorry, their final glory. Verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, uniting God and man, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of mercy, a better and nobler and more gracious message than the blood of Abel which cried out for vengeance. The heavenly scene is depicted as Mount Zion. There is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the vast company of angels. Praise his name. There's earthly acceptance as well in Hebrews 12.25. The unshaken kingdom. See to it that you do not refuse to listen to him who is speaking to you now. For if these sons of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to him who warned them on earth, revealing God's will, how much less will we escape if we turn our backs on him who warns from heaven? The readers are exhorted to accept his heavenly scene as a future reality. The materialism of this world often obscures future hopes and lets faith in Jesus Christ intervenes. And there's godly judgment. Just Hebrews 12, 25 and 27 talks of the unshaken kingdom. It says, See to it that you do not refuse to listen to him who is speaking to you now. For if those sons of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to him who warned them on earth, revealing God's will, how much less will we escape if we turn our backs on him who warns from heaven? His voice shook the earth at Mount Sinai then, but now he has given a promise saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the starry heaven. Now this expression yet once more indicates the removal and final transformation of all those things which can be shaken, that is, of which has been created, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. The author was warning of God's judgment to seal the great truths of Christianity in the reader's minds. As we finish up today, look at verses 28 and 29. They challenge believers to serve God acceptably with godly fear and reverence. This exhortation is emphasized by yet another reminder of God's awesomeness. Let's have a read of them. Verse 28 says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. Amen to that. That's your challenge today. Show God some reverence. 
I was once told by a pastor, and I think it's a great way to live. Three things to live by. Fear God, have a humble heart, and live an obedient life. And I really want to encourage you today to be diligent with your Bible study time because God has so much more for us than we can get from just going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for Him and He can make you whole, spirit, soul and body. And you're important to God, you know that already, but you're also important to us at the refinery. So when it comes to prayer... We believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal his promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about, whatever you need prayer for, we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us at www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. Until next time, stay in the blessings. <laughs>